Well, we come to the end of our series that we've been in for the last uh, three weeks and four counting today. I Own is the series we've been in. And in that series, we've been looking at the areas, four major areas of the Christian life that are very, very important for us to have the right ownership with, the right area of stewardship in. And uh, today, as we wrap up, we're going to be talking about the importance of owning our ministry, owning our ministry. What we need to understand is that if you are a disciple of Christ, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of the the overall body of Christ, and you're part of the local church, then each of you, each of us, has been entrusted with ministry, with ministry that we are to, to carry out that we're to own and, and to fulfill, that we're to do for the sake of Christ our Savior, for the sake of the body of Christ as a whole, for the sake of the kingdom, that we each have been given that area of ministry. And it may look like something different from one person to the next. It's going to be varied. It's going to be unique, and it's going to be personal. God has given us, each of us, if we're in Christ, very specific gifting for the sake of the overall body. So it's going to look different, but the point is what unites all of that, what unites all of us is that we are all given ministry to do. And and so the question becomes not, do I have a ministry? You know, if I I have a ministry, maybe I'll I'll actually own it if I'm given one. That's not the question. The the answer is very clear. You you have been given a ministry. There is ministry for you to do if you're in Christ. The question uh, is, how does it all fit together? Like, Like, what are the roles in ministry in the local church? What does it actually look like? What's the practical of that? And... Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 gives us a very clear, very direct answer on how that all plays out. Like what the roles of ministry in the local church are meant to be and, and how we work together. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says this. And he, speaking of God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers... Now, these are are very specific roles, and and we could spend another whole message or two uh, unpacking each of those aspects and how that plays out into today's context of the local church. But but let's just suffice it to say for our purposes here this morning, let's just say pastors, okay? Pastors or leaders in the church. He gave these. God set it up. It wasn't just someone that decided somewhere along the way, I think we need to have pastors in the church. I think we need to have spiritual leaders. That wasn't a man-made thing. God himself has supplied this. He has supplied the office of pastor-teacher. He has supplied and, and put in place the office of elder, overseer. Okay, it's him that has done it. The question then is, is for what purpose? For what end? What goal? Why did he set these up? Why did he give these people to the church? Here's the answer. To equip the saints, that's you, that's the members of the local church, that's the body, okay? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, See how clear that is? 
God has given pastors and teachers to the church for the direct purpose of equipping, of enabling, of of empowering, of supplying you, the church, the saint, the member of the body, to, to equip you for what purpose? For the carrying out, the actual doing of ministry. All so that the body, the body of Christ, the local body as well as the universal body, the kingdom, is, is built up. It's enhanced. It's made stronger. It's made better. Think of, of going to the gym and, and working out. Uh, there's a guy I just met uh, this morning, Chuck Holton's nephew. He's, he's down in Panama and he has a gym there. He owns and runs a gym. And the whole purpose of that facility is to have people come in and build themselves up. You know, it doesn't just sit there for no point. There's a direct, very specific, very intentional reason for the gym. It's so people will come and get pumped up, right? Right? So that we can look at people and say, how are you doing? Right? So that we can, we have to walk this way through doors. It's to build us up. It's to pump us up, right? That's the purpose of a gym, to make us better than we were before we went into the gym. And it's the same kind of thing with this context here and the same purpose of why pastors and teachers are given to the church. It's, it's, it's to equip you, to enhance you, to strengthen you so that you, on an individual basis, and you as families... And the overall family of God can actually carry out the work of the ministry so that the body is built up spiritually. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. And you know, when this happens, when we see the local church functioning this way, when we see the church where, where the pastors and the teachers are, are faithful to presenting the word of God and they're faithful to teach the things of doctrine and of theology and, and they're led by the Spirit and they pour in to the individual member. And when the, when the individual member gets this, this concept that I, I have a role to play, I have been given ministry to do and I'm going to do it, when that happens, it is such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful picture of what the body of Christ was meant to be and how the body of Christ was meant to function. And we see glimpses of that from time to time when we're all working together and the order is right. You know, it's not just the pastors doing all the work of the ministry. Rather, it's the pastors equipping and the, and the saints are actually fulfilling the work of the ministry. When we see evidence of that, it's so beautiful and it's so powerful. And when the church functions that way, church... We're always more effective. We're always so much more effective. And we have so much more impact on people's lives. And we see whole families and entire lives revolutionized with the power and the truth of the gospel when it's multiplied. When it's not just the pastors or a select few doing all the work of the ministry and everyone else just kind of sitting by. When that happens, when we we carry this out the way we're supposed to, there's truly no limit to what we can accomplish, what what God will accomplish through us. And it's not meant to be a hit or miss thing. It's not meant to be just limited to this event or or that event when when we fulfill this. This is supposed to be how we function all the time. This is how the church is supposed to operate 
You know, I said in the first message in this series that the Christian life is not available to rent, that you either own it all or not at all. And the same thing is really true with the concept of owning your ministry. The Christian life is not available to be a spectator for. The Christian life is meant for everyone who is part of the body to jump in, to own their ministry, and to see ministry go forward. That's what is meant for the Christian life. Okay? Um, what happens so often, what happens so much of the time, is that, that we get it backwards. And, and we think that um, those who, who have been prepared for vocational ministry like myself, those who are, are gifted in, in communicating or in teaching the word, that they're the only ones that really can be trusted to do the ministry right, to do it well. And that's just not the case. You know, think about uh, if you, at your job, you you got hired at this place, and you got hired because you were expected to fulfill a certain role. You were hired because of a skill set. You were hired to meet a certain need in the organization. How long would you last if when your supervisor or, or the powers that be in there came to you and said, okay, I've got this job for you to do, I've got this task for you to do, I want you to take this and, and just run with it, this is your project, this is your thing, go at it. How long would you last if, if you looked at them and said, you know what, uh, thanks for the offer, thanks for believing in me, thanks for giving me this, but, but um, you know, you're so much more qualified than I am, uh, I'm just going to let you take care of this one, all right, boss? You think, I mean, how, how, how long would you be at that, that company, that, that business? Not long, not long at all. In fact, probably not longer than that conversation. You know, right? Right? Um, no, no sports team on earth would function that way. And when, when the whatever sport, football, baseball, basketball, when the team puts all their eggs in their star's basket, that star may perform really, really well, but the team will always lose. Because it's only in a team effort that forward momentum occurs. It's only in a team effort when, that, that the maximum impact is reached, right? Only in a team context. And the same is true with the local church. One or two or three or even five people cannot sustain what is needed for a healthy, vibrant, growing, and impacting ministry. It's just impossible. And and even if it were possible, that's not how it was set up. That's not how it was meant to be. Look, forget ability. Let's say we could, you know, the the select few of us could shoulder it all, could go forward with it. We would still be stepping outside of God's design for how the church is to operate. Because it's very clear here how it was meant to operate. He gave the pastors and the teachers and, and the leaders for the purpose of pouring in to the people we're shepherding, you, pouring into you, investing into you, building you up so that you can go out and build up the body. You know, um, when, I was a, when I was a teenager, I think it was uh, 15 or 16, I can't remember which one, um, at my parents' house, all of a sudden we noticed we had these, these stray dogs, these two puppies that showed up. And uh, they were actually so small, they fit into the uh, cat house that my dad had built for our, our cat. We were, we, were like, we were cat people, okay? Um, now I'm not in, in anything people. I, cats, dogs, goldfish, ugh, just get rid of all of them. 
Um, but, but these puppies show up, and, and I, I, just, I just had to have them. Don't know what I was thinking, but I had to have them. So I went to my dad and my mom, and I was like, hey, we did, there's, there's these two puppies that showed up, and they've actually crawled in to our cat's house. They obviously have nowhere to go. Let's keep them. My parents are like, I don't, I don't think so, no. No, we're not going to keep two stray dogs. I said, oh, come on. Look how cute they are. They don't have anywhere to go. And I mean, I begged and I begged and I begged and I pleaded, uh, just as, as parents uh, you've had happen to you, no doubt, many times. And so um, I convince my parents that I will be the one to take care of them. Right? You see where I'm going? Yeah, they, I said, come on, Dad, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll, I'll make sure they're fed. I'll make sure they're, they're watered. I'll walk them. I'll clean out their cage. I'll do it all. I, I really want these dogs. Please, let, us, let me keep these dogs. And my dad says, Chris, how well do I know you? And I said, pretty well, I guess. He said, that's not going to happen. We're going to take these dogs, and you might do that for a little while, Maybe a day, maybe two, and then inevitably what's going to happen is I'm going to own those dogs. They're going to be mine, not yours. I said, no, 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 it won't happen like that. I promise. I promise. So I, I sold my dad on the concept that I was going to truly show, my, show, show them that I was able to be entrusted with the ownership of those two puppies. Which, by the way, my dad decided to name Mork and Mindy. Yeah, like Nanu Nanu. Mork and Mindy. For those of you who know my father, that's not a stretch. That's like, of course, that would be the name given. So Mork and Mindy. And, um, and, and I started off pretty well. Like I, I was doing what I needed to do. But along the way, I don't know how long it lasted, I got pretty lazy and I got pretty forgetful. And long story short, that's entirely predictable. Yes, my dad, my poor mother, ended up taking care of and truly owning those puppies. And the reason they owned those puppies is because true ownership always requires personal investment. True ownership always requires requires personal investment. True ownership requires that you actually do personally what is required and what is needed to take care of the thing that you've been entrusted with. If you're not the one who, who manages something, if you're not the one who actually supervises and takes responsibility for getting something done or something taken care of, it doesn't matter what you say, the person that does all those things is really the person that owns whatever it is. And the same is true for the church, guys. So often we, especially Americans, we have this, this mindset that we're going to come and we're going to say we're part of the team. We're going to come and fill in our chairs or, or our pews or whatever. We're going to sing the songs. We're going to pray the prayers because we're part of that church. I mean, that's our church. That's where we go. We're part of that body. But then when it comes time for this ministry to, to be taken care of or, or this ministry to get done or this ministry to get started and launched, when it comes time for that, what so often happens in our modern American church culture is we, we recognize the need or the value for those things, but we don't recognize that we personally have to take the responsibility for them. And when that happens, that means you're not really owning your ministry. 
And you're not really owning your, even, your, your membership even in that body because to do that means you're all in. Your hands are, are getting dirty. You have the calluses, not just the other people who always do the work of the ministry. It has to be personal. You know, so, so many times I have heard in, in the various ministries I've been in, so many times I've heard directly and had conversations directly or other people in the organization have told me about these conversations where uh, when it comes time that, that someone, a couple or an individual decides they're no longer going to be going to your church and, and they, have the, they ask for that dreaded meeting, you know, you know the one where it's like, uh, Pastor, uh, we, we need to talk. You know, it's like that, that awkward uh, way they go about it. You know something's up, right? And, and so many times what happens when the reason is asked of why you're, you're no longer going to be here, why are you leaving? You know, we understand that uh, you're able to do that, but, but, but tell us, you know, why? What, what happened? Why aren't you happy here? So many times the answer is because you don't have X, Y, Z for, for me. You don't have this for my family. We don't have this ministry or this program or this activity, and that's a really big deal for us. And, and since you don't have it and the other person down the, the other ministry down the road does, that's just where we're, we're going to go. It's where we feel called to go. And just about every time, my answer and the answer given from, from the other people who you know, are in leadership that had those conversations, the answer that is given is, you know what? That sounds great, what you're, you're saying you want. That sounds awesome. We would love to see that happen. How about instead of you just running to where it's already done, how about you be the one to make it happen here? You're, you're obviously passionate about it. That's great. We're, we're 100% on board with that concept. We'd love to see that happen. How about you take ownership in that, you own that, and you get it launched, and we'll give you whatever resources we can. We'll get behind you. We'll be cheering you on. We'll help you as much as we can. But you take it and you run with it. You own it. And how many times does that actually change the mind? Where they say, you know what, you're right. We will just stay put. We will just invest. We will just make sure what we're seeing a, a, a gap with gets filled. We'll be the one to fill it. We'll do that. We'll step up to the plate. We'll take ownership. We'll get our hands dirty. We'll feed the dog, as it were. Instead, so much of the time, I'm not going to say every time, but so much of the time, the answer is, without saying it in so many words, the inference is, no, 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 you, you misunderstand. We don't want to actually be the one to do it. We, we want it done for us, and we want it to be there, and we just want to you know, participate in it. We, we, no, 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 no. You, you, we're, not, we're not interested in actually starting that or, or getting that off the, off the ground. And again, that's not true every time. There's, there's always exceptions where that's not the case. But many times it is. Many times it is. And it's because there's this mindset that has crept into the church that says those in leadership, those that are paid to minister, they're the ones that should be doing this work. They're the ones that we have here to do this kind of thing. Why, why do they need me? Why are they asking me to do it? And again, the answer is not just because we don't have anything to do. The answer is not because we're, we're just so overwhelmed. The answer is not because we just feel like pawning things off. No, the answer is because biblically, as we just read and it's still on the screen, the whole purpose 
of the pastors and the teachers and the leaders is to equip you all to own your ministry. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Christ, as members in this body and the body as a whole. It's a team concept. It's not just the select few or those that are paid to minister. Okay? Um, so the question with that then is, well, all right, so we've got that. We understand the concept. We recognize that. We agree with that statement of why the apostles and the teachers and all that were given. We, we get that it's to, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body. The question is how? How does this practically play out? What does this look like on a practical level? How do we specifically jump into this? You know, you might be sitting here thinking, all right, I get it. I I need to own my ministry. I have a ministry given to me by God. How do I know what that looks like? And and how do I actually carry that out? Where do I apply these gifts and talents that I've been given? How do I minister? Well, the first area is the area of serving. The area of serving. That's the first way that we as individual believers and followers of Christ, that's the first way that every Christian can own their ministry. The first way they start to do that is by serving. And this serving, this servanthood, this service, it's, it's to the body, it's to your fellow Christians, and it's to the world around you. It's to the church, the local church, and the walls beyond the church. It, it's, it's going out not just staying in, all right? It's serving the body and the world. Here's what 1 Peter 4, 9 through 10 says. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, that's key, as each, as each individual has received a gift, use it to, you tell me, what's it say? Serve one another as good Stewards, just like we've been talking about in this whole series, stewardship, owning, taking responsibility. As each has received a gift, which you all have if you're in Christ, if anyone here has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, he is your Lord and your Savior, then at the moment of your conversion, you received gifts by the Spirit of God who dwells within you. We all, if we're in Christ, have very real and very specific giftedness. What are we supposed to do with that? Here it says, very plainly, the word of God is so clear and so, so easy to grasp if we will actually allow ourselves to, to see what it's being said. It says it right here. Each has received a gift for the purpose of using it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So I'm to pour into you, and I'm supposed to be there for you, and I'm supposed to give of myself to you, and you likewise are to pour into me and and give of yourself to me, and we do that one with another, and it's mutual, and it's ongoing, and it's consistent. And by doing that, by using our gifts to impact one another and in the body, we're actually being good stewards of what has been given to us. The opposite then means if I'm not exercising my spiritual gifts to better you and you're not exercising your spiritual gifts to better me, if we're not working together to build up the body, then we're being bad stewards of the gifts and the varied grace that God has given us. That's how it works. 
Also, Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit because you're not really ever going to be able to, to properly own or properly steward your ministry and the gifts given to you if you go about it that way. Selfishness, selfish ambition and conceit have no place in the work of the ministry. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. It's counterintuitive. But, rather than that, but in humility, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In other words, look at the people around you and and say that they are more important to you than you. Look for ways of of reaching into their life and, and bettering them and enhancing their walk with Christ. How can you make them a better follower of Christ? How can you bless them? How can you encourage them? How can you put yourself behind them and serve them instead of serving yourself? That's what it means to count others more significant than yourselves. It's not all about me when I'm thinking this way. It's not all about my agenda. It's, it's saying I'm second or I'm third or I'm fourth. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. In other words, don't just be pursuing your own agenda. Don't be pursuing your own preference. Be willing to to lay those things aside for the overall sake of the body, for the sake of the team, you know? Be willing to let somebody else take the shot. Be willing to let somebody else hit the home run and give them every possible means of help and resource to help them do that. Want others to succeed is what this means. I, I want others to succeed. I'm going to do whatever I can to assist them in that. Then also, with the same concept of serving, Galatians 6.10, another very clear, crystal, crystal clear scripture on this concept. So then, as we have opportunity, and another way of wording that would be, whenever we have opportunity, or as, as much as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. But, but I want you to, to not miss that everyone. That means, yes, we build up the body. That means we, we help one another as fellow believers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. We look out for one another. We're, we're there for one another. I'm, I'm pouring into you and you're pouring into me, but it does not stop here. This is where it starts. The local church is where all that starts. Service starts in the context of the local church, but it does not stop here. It goes beyond the walls. It goes through the doors into the darkness and despair of the world around us that is dying without hope. It means we have a heart, not just for one another, although that's very important, but we have a heart for the others, those people. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. We all have those categories and characterizations in our, in our own depravity where we just write people off and say, oh, those are those people, right? Friends, what it means to really grasp a hold of this concept of serving and understand that I, I have a ministry and I have a service that I am, I am entrusted with and that I am to own, what it means is you look at everyone the way Jesus Christ looks at everyone, which is that everyone is precious and valued and loved to the point of laying down your life for. That's how Christ views 
people. He doesn't view them as annoyances and inconveniences and, and frustrations. He views them as people that he created, as people that have been fearfully and wonderfully made, as people that he was willing to go to the cross to redeem. And we need to have the same concept. And we need to always remember that except for grace, except for mercy, and except for love, we would always be those people. Always. Only thing that separates us is the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to remember. So it's, it's serving the body and the world. And there are all kinds of ways you, very practically, here at this local church, can be doing this. We... There's, a, there's a, a thing called grace ministry that we want to get started, G-R-A-C-E, and it, it is an acronym, but I'm not going to go through all that now because I don't actually remember what every letter stands for. But it's grace ministry, okay? And um, Travis Hicks is going to be heading that up. He's passionate about it. And what that's going to look like is several different facets. Uh, as the winter weather comes and as we get the snow that we no doubt will, um, it, it means shoveling walks and sidewalks for people. It means if power goes out, it means supplying a generator for, for this house and letting them use their, the generator to power their things for a, a couple hours. Then we move it to somewhere else and, and we just canvas our immediate community and our neighborhood with practical resources that are needed in times of need or of crisis. Think back to the, the summer, the storm we had, right, when everything was just totally out of power here. And, and then we, we have this, this wonderful generator sitting right here that is working now. It's up. It's ready to go. It means powering the church here so that people can come in and get warm or get cooled off, whatever the case may be. Power their devices so they can contact their loved ones and stay up with what's going on. Give them a cool drink of water or a hot cup of coffee. One of the two. It's things like that. But it goes beyond that to supplying clothes to people that are in need. Uh, supplying resources for, for a house that might have burned down. It, on and on we could go. I mean, there, there's really no limit to what the grace ministry can be, and we're ready to launch it. We're ready. We, but we need, we need you. We need people to come in and step up and say, you know what, that is awesome. I love the fact that this church wants to reach out in the community and be the body of Christ and be the love of Christ rather than just talking about it. Sign me up. What can I do? We need people like that to get the grace ministry going off the ground. We're ready. Are you? Uh, there's also uh, Thanksgiving meals that we're going to be preparing for some needy families that are connected with a couple of our local schools here uh, that, that have nothing for Thanksgiving. We're going to try our best, and, and we want desperately to provide that for them. Well, guess what? We need people to actually do some cooking. We need you to donate some supplies to this. More on that very soon, okay? I'll be giving you some specific announcements about that. But that's coming up, where we want to actually feed some families, we need help, though, to make that happen. Uh, trunk or treat. I mentioned it in the announcements. Trunk or treat. What an amazing opportunity to, to provide a safe, you know, trick-or-treating environment for kids that families will just absolutely welcome and, and get them here on our campus, let them know Faith Baptist loves them and cares for them, and in addition to handing out candy, maybe, just maybe, you'll have the chance to share the gospel with them and pray with them. Incredible opportunity, literally at our doorstep. It's there. It's ready for you. You just have to jump in. Then there's uh, the kids' ministry that happens every single week here, Sunday and Wednesday. We always are in need of people to come and 
and pour into our precious children. We've got a good kids ministry, but we can make it so much better with more people in it, working it, leading that, assisting those who do lead, giving the people who've been in it for a long, long time a much-needed break. See, it's not a question of if there's ministry to plug into or if there's ministry that that each of you could do. That's not the question. The question is just, which one? (laughs) Which one do you want to be a part of? And, And also, there's all these other ministries we want to start. We have a desire to see happen. But we can't do it without more people because we're stretched too thin. Every membership class I teach, I talk about ministries that we would like to see begin. And I give the challenge right there. Those of you who have gone through the class, you know what I'm talking about. Where I say, hey, we'd love to see this or this or this take place. But we need you. We need you to jump in and say, that's mine. I'm going to own it. I'm going to own it. All right? So serving. All kinds of opportunities for this. All kinds of opportunities. The second way, practically, that we, we fulfill Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 and do the work of the ministry and build up the body of Christ is through evangelism and discipleship. Through evangelism and discipleship. And church, we can never separate the two. We can never be passionate about evangelism but not be passionate about discipleship. They always go hand in hand. Because when, when you're passionate about evangelism and you neglect discipleship, you know what happens? You just create a bunch of spiritual orphans. That's all that happens. You know, they, they get born again in Christ. Yes, awesome, hallelujah. But then where's the person to come alongside them and mentor them? Where's the person to come alongside them and grow them in their new faith? Where's the person to come alongside them and say, you're going to have hard days ahead, but you're not alone anymore because now we're brothers or we're sisters in Christ and I am for you and I am here. It's, it's both. It's evangelism and discipleship together. And we have a limitless opportunity to be passionate about this and to own this here in our community. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it's known as the Great Commission. It's, it's very, very common in, in its uh, familiarity with hearing it. But here's what it says. Here's Jesus himself speaking. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples... To obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. Be sure of this. I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. That's Jesus' command and Jesus' promise. That as we go, and and the, the key really is there, as we go, as we're going about our Christian life and as we're going about life in general and we're, we're in our natural rhythms of life, it's always looking for ways of pouring in other people and discipling people. You are a disciple of Christ? Great. Go and multiply. That's what Christianity is. It's multiplication. Okay? Tell the people about the truth you've received. Tell people about the love you've embraced. Tell people about the hope you've received from Christ. Let them know it's available to them too. Once they embrace that, then your work is just getting started and means coming alongside them and and enriching their new faith by teaching and guiding and directing and and mentoring. 2 Corinthians 5, 19-20 says this, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. That's that's grace. And he, God, gave us, us, church, you and me, Faith Baptist Church, he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And man, is it a wonderful message. It's the 
best news. That's why it's called the gospel. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So what that means is we are Christ's ambassadors. Just like the UN ambassadors or the ambassadors for our government represent the interests of this country and of this government to to other places they go. We Christians, we church, are the ambassadors of Christ himself representing him. Which means this, the last phrase here, God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's what we're, we're given. If you are a Christian, this is the ministry you've been entrusted with from the moment of your conversion, that you are to be an ambassador, a reconciler, an oracle of God. Okay? This is not just bringing people for the pastor to speak truth into. That's not what this means. Okay? Um, Matthew 28, 19-20, and 2 Corinthians 5, 19-20, making disciples and being ambassadors for Christ. That does not mean it's bringing people in for the pastor or the teacher to speak truth into. Yes, we're going to do that, and yes, we want you to bring people in. Please do that. Bring people who have not embraced the truth of the gospel to us. We, we, we love for that to happen. That needs to happen. But this cannot be the first place that happens, and it can't be the last one. It's not just about coming into the church. It's about relationship building that each of you own means you're going to reach out on your own, independent of me, independent of the church. Apart from this context, you're going to, on your own, reach into people's lives that don't have the gospel yet as part of their life. You're going to share that with them. You're going to, you're going to communicate that to them. And once they embrace it, you're going to start discipling them on your own. And we're going to come alongside you, and we're going to disciple them with you. But it's, it's, it's about doing it together. It's about you already doing it as the individual members, not just expecting us to do it for you. Okay, that's the concept here. And a great example of all of this, a great example of of a church that serves the way they're supposed to, that serves one another and the world around them, Uh, a, a church that is passionate about evangelism and discipleship together, a great example of that, and, and we all like examples, right? We all like when there's a concept and we can look at someone and actually mirror what they're doing and see it actually played out and lived out. We, we all like that, right? It makes it more clear to us. Well, the great example of this is the early church, the first church. It's in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It says this, And they, the church, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. See, there's, there's humility. There's considering others as more significant than yourself. There's valuing other people higher than your, your own stuff and, and your own comfort. Verse 46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble, see there's humility, showing humility, with a humble attitude, 
Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, not just their fellow Christians, not just their immediate church context. They had favor with all the people. That means the community and the world around them looked in on what they were doing and what they were about favorably. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. This is a group of people, this is a church who owned their own ministry. They understood that it's up to me as an individual, not just those who are in leadership over me. There was ownership, there was togetherness, and look what God did. It worked then, (laughs) it can work now. This is always going to be God's design for how the church operates. This is always his intention that we each own our ministry, recognizing we've been given a personal ministry. And then it's, it's about recognizing that, and it's about finding out how that plays out practically and using your gifts. And that means trying different things out. Maybe you, know, you start off in, in this ministry, but it just, it's not really resonating. It's not connecting. You're not being effective. That's okay. That doesn't mean you just don't do anything. That means you, you go over to this ministry, and you see how, how that plays out and works out. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a of trial thing here, okay? But it's about recognizing I've been given this, I'm going to do it, I'm going to own it, I'm going to own my ministry, along with owning every other area that we've talked about throughout this series. It's all about ownership, okay? Let's have a word of prayer together. We've covered a lot in this series in these four weeks. talked about the importance of owning your own faith, not depending on someone else for your faith or your walk with Christ. We talked about owning your giving, that we're all responsible to give of what God has given us. We're responsible to to believe and remember and apply the fact that if you give God your first and your best, he's going to bless the rest, and it's up to each of us in that way. We talked about owning our family responsibilities and our roles as parents, as husbands and wives, as children. And now as we've wrapped up by talking about the importance of owning our ministry, all of this church, all of this comes down to a decision that you and I have to make every moment of every day that we're going to do this. It's going to be deliberate. It's not going to just happen. We will pursue these areas of life that we're meant to, and we're going to own it. We're going to take responsibility. And all of it comes back to Jesus Christ working and enabling in you for this to happen. We can't own any area of our life that we're supposed to, not well, not continually, not consistently, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. That only comes through Jesus Christ. So my question to you, as you think about all the the different messages that have been in this series, all the concepts we've looked at, do you know Jesus Christ is the question in all of it. Have you given your life to him? Is he your savior and Lord? Do you have the power of the Holy Spirit enabling you to take the ownership in these areas? If not, there is no better time than right now. And I would just love to pray for you if that's you. If I described you, I would love to pray for you that you will make that decision to surrender your life to Christ right now. And then I'm available to talk with you one-on-one. I would love nothing more. Is there anyone who would say that to me? Let me know by just slipping up your hand if that's you. If I described you, if that's you, thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, Christian, my brother and my sister, let's own every area of ownership that God desires and intends for us to own. Let's depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, not just daily, but moment by moment by moment by moment. 
Let's realize what we've been given and entrusted by God himself. And let's be passionate about that. Let's pour into one another's life. Let's help each other out. It's a team. We are a team. Let's do this together. Okay? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the the constant relevance of it. Thank you for the constant power of your word to change lives, to change hearts. Father, I pray for this one who did say, yes, you described me. I am not a Christian. I have not surrendered my life to Jesus. I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, but I want to. I want to know that. I want to to have the work and the power of the Spirit in my life so that I can take the right ownership in all these things. I want to know Jesus as my Savior and Lord and the freedom that he alone provides me, the, the hope that he alone gives me. I want to know I'm right with God. Father, I pray for that person that right now in these moments they would surrender their whole person to your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord, and that we would be able to rally around them come alongside and do the discipleship that we should. Father, I pray for all of us that we would be led constantly by your Spirit, yielding to his power in every area of ownership that we've covered and all the areas we haven't that are still just as important. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.